Hello, hello. Welcome back to Presenting Genesis. Um, I'm very grateful to be here. And I'm really happy that you are here too. This week has been a lot for me personally. I have said before here on the podcast, in the very first episode, in fact, that I have bipolar disorder and um, and that I'm sober. And in the past, I haven't really had to think about having bipolar or even about like sobriety because I was pretty committed to, um, how can I say this? Um, I was pretty committed to like destroying my body, <laughs> but now that I have, uh, I guess, tried to do better as a person and I've tried to, um, survive and, and I've tried to, I guess, leave a better legacy of like longevity for my descendants that now I am realizing so many different parts about myself that I didn't know because I was just so focused on um, being as high as possible. And now that I know I have bipolar, now that I'm sober and I'm actually working at sobriety all the time and I am working to learn more about my cycles and learn more about my mental health and not from a place of judgment, but just like genuinely trying to learn more. I am really struck with how different my life is now than it was when I was doing drugs. Um, I was talking to my boss about this and he was like, it makes sense that you aren't able to make friends in the same way. How did you make friends before you started doing drugs, before you started like drinking? And I've been drinking uh, off and on for sure, but I got drunk for the first time when I was six or seven. And so I don't know how I made friends before drugs. Like it's just not, I don't really have that much memory of before. Um, I mean, I have a good amount of memory before six, but it's mostly revolving around family. Like I don't really know exactly how I made friends. And I think a lot of it too was very situational and um, like very utilitarian. Uh, it's just kind of like, it's better to have friends than to not have friends. And so it doesn't really matter like why I'm making these friends or if I even like want to be friends with them. It's just better to have alliances than to not have alliances is kind of how I saw it. Um, I wouldn't say that's the best <laughs> way to go into making friends. And that's something that I don't want to continue now. But I'm just really struck with how hard it is to make friends um, in a way that feels really, um, I guess, fortifying and also like nourishing and also in a way that feels good for my mental health and feels good for me 
but doing it completely sober. <laughs> and so I, I honestly find myself more often than not being very antisocial. And I'm realizing like, wow, I'm actually way more introverted than I thought that I was. I'm, <laughs> I'm way more introverted than I thought that I was. Or I am, I'm so not into the same things that I was before. Or um, it's really hard for me to be in groups of strangers, things like that. Like I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm just realizing that about myself now. And I feel like a, a kid again. I feel like I'm like relearning how to live life again um, in a way that feels healthy. <laughs> uh, and it just, yeah, something was calling me to share that. And I didn't want to go into this week talking about whatever I was going to talk about this week and have this kind of weighing on my mind. I feel like there's a need to be, especially in this format for me, since really I'm doing this for myself and there's people who happen to be listening. Uh, I feel like I needed to share that out loud. And... um I don't think I feel better because of it, but I do feel more honest and truthful. And I feel like that will set me on a, continue to set me on a path to being a more honest and truthful person in general. But today I wanted to talk about limitations. Um, I wanted to talk about other people's limitations on, on me, on you, on us, whatever. Um, and those limitations can be for different reasons. They can be because of uh, the family that we were born into, because of the the race that we were born into, or the place that we were, the actual place, the nation, the country, or the lack of nation or country that we were born into. Uh, if we were born into poverty or uh, or wealth or... Uh, all of the places that are in the middle of that, um, whether we were a sibling or adopted or any of that. I mean, I wrote in my um, in my portfolio uh, for grad school that I don't actually know if I'm I don't actually know if I'm going to grad school or not. Um, but I wrote in my portfolio about how I, when I was a young kid, recognized that everyone has a place and I didn't I didn't recognize it in like a oh like I'm a puzzle piece and and the world is the puzzle and I have to find where I fit it wasn't anything um allegorical like that it was more like you you look at a person and subconsciously or consciously you compare them to yourself well, I'll say me. I look at a person, I realize that I was taught to look at a person, to compare them to myself, and then to evaluate whether or not they belong in this space that I was also inhabiting based on who they were, who they were in relationship to me, based on their hygiene, based on their clothing, based on their race, based on their stature, um, based on the way that they talked. Um, and I think that that's something that we all do everywhere. Um, 
partially because of just like the way the human rational brain works of like categorizing and and pattern making um but also as a means to continue to uphold whatever systems are in place and um and in some cases those pattern making and those categorizations that we make actually lend themselves to people creating physical spaces where they think people should be. Now, I was saying all of this in relation to prison abolition, something that I'm very um, passionate about and something that I will be talking about here in the second season of this podcast. But I was talking about how uh, certain bodies are inextricable. You can't take them away from certain locations uh, because our brains have made this this pattern or this stereotype and we believe that that's where they fit. And so that's a lot about limitations, right? Like what we perceive to be limitations on someone else, like where we think they shouldn't and should be, like where we think their limit is as a human being. And sometimes that causes people to act on those things, like to physically remind people that they should or should not be there. And that could be like in a in a nod hello, in a hug, in a gesture of some kind of approval, or that could be in like the physical removing of that person, of calling uh, the police or calling the army or whatever um, local um group that controls the lives of other people, uh, calling them and getting them to remove the person, calling them names, making sure they know that they're out of place. Like we put our limits on people all of the time um, based on what we believe. And um, I've been noticing that a lot in myself because I feel as though I am very accepting of two groups that I feel have uh, really interesting limitations that other people kind of have that then I think uh, reflect back onto me and I have to decide whether I want to internalize that or not. And usually the answer is I don't want to. Like your limitations on me should not matter to me because that's fully your problem. But when people are externalizing that, limitation to us, it becomes really obvious. Um, my mom has always said to me that um, I'm an impressional person. And it's because of the past, but also like the past of me, um, I guess, informing who she thinks I am. And that's even a limitation of its own, other people telling you who you are. To some extent, I think it's therapeutic to be told how people think of you, to be told how people see you, um, to be reminded that you exist in a world with other people. Um, it can be very uh, therapeutic and eye-opening and maybe like uh, cathartic to hear how you are in other people's eyes, just to be reminded that we're not alone out here and that like as much as we want to easily believe that we live in a a solipsistic world we don't solips yeah i said that right we don't uh, we live with other people and every action that we do every action we perform has consequences whether that's positive or negative
And also, when it kind of goes into people telling us how they perceive us and how our life affects them, um, when it kind of goes into people telling us who we are rather than who we who they perceive us to be, it kind of gets into this point where like, oh, now they're imposing limitations on us. Now they're saying this is who we are and by default, this is who we're not. So I grew up with my mom telling me that I was a very impressionable kid. At first, I didn't really know what that meant. I just knew it in the context of a certain story that she told me, which I'll share. When I was three years old, I... Uh, learned how to tie my shoes and I would tie my shoes all the time. Um, it was something I actually really loved doing. Um, I felt very grown up. I felt very, uh, I felt like I had agency, I guess. So I, ha I had control over my own life. And I was in preschool once and, or I was in preschool, but one day when I was in preschool, I, a parent of a fellow classmate told me that I was too young to be tying my shoes. And that, what else she said? She said, I was too young to be tying my shoes and that, and she asked me how old I was and I said I was three. And then she said something like, uh, wait, like you can wait until you're four. It was something like that, referencing how three was too young, but, f but uh, maybe, no, she actually didn't. See, this is the thing about memories is that I don't think we remember them correctly all the time. I don't think she said anything about me being four. I think she just told me that three was too young to be tying my shoes. And I didn't tie my shoes for the rest of the time that I was three. And then on my fourth birthday, I bent down and I tied my shoes because to me, three was too young, but four was great. Four was fine. I could tie my shoes at four. Three, I understand why three was too young, but four is older than three. So four must be old enough to tie my shoes. Um. And my mom since then has said that I was a very impressionable kid. And I, I feel like that's a very easy conclusion to come to. Um, but I think also one thing about learning kids' behavior when they're young, especially when it comes to how they interact with adults, is that we have to acknowledge that power dynamic at play. Like when an adult tells us something as very young children and we're raised by adults that we're told to trust, whether they do things that deserve trust or not. We're raised by adults that we're told to trust that we have to rely on in order to, to survive, in order to live in the world. When another adult tells us that uh, we can't do something, for some people, they might be like, fuck that. I'm actually going to do it more now. And I'm going to teach other people how to do it. And then for some people it could be like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, that's an adult who told me what to do. And so if I then do the opposite of what an adult said, then, you know, I'm kind of admitting that I know better than adults or that I don't trust adults and then I therefore don't trust my mom or I don't trust my grandma or things like that. It's a very workaround way to say that and it's sort of an undeveloped idea but I think that um, when we're told by someone that we're supposed to trust just because they're older than us and, and we've told to like be kind to adults and be nice to adults or whatever, 
that when we're told something, a limitation, that we believe it at first. And I think I was a more um, intense, I had a more intense reaction to that. I'm still not, not sure why, but that happened uh, a fair amount of times in my life and not from other kids, really. Like I, peer pressure isn't really something that I uh, have like succumbed to necessarily. Um, I've looked around at my peers and seen what they were doing and um, especially in regards to like eating disorders um there was no one telling me like you're fat you should have an eating disorder or not you should have an eating disorder but like you should like make yourself lose weight it was more like I was developing differently than all the white girls that I went to school with even the black girls that I went to school with and um the white girls were complaining about how fat they were and they were not developed like I was and they were much, much skinnier and shorter than I was. And so them talking about their flaws and how fat they were kind of to me was like, okay, well, like, what the, what am I, you know? And I've talked about this before, but that's kind of the extent of like peer pressure, I guess, uh, that I've experienced. No one telling me really how to behave, no peer telling me how to behave, but me learning behavior from from other peers. But in terms of adults, I, I've, I've had this, um, this trust in adults uh, since I was a young, a young girl, where it's really hard for me to believe even still that people don't even want to be the best versions of themselves that they could, that people have absolutely no interest in being kind people or being honorable or generous people. And that has baffled me because uh, I'm, I'm not that way. I definitely mess up and there are so many times when I, I don't meet uh, my standards of like my best or my kindest or my most generous. And and I, I've wanted to believe that other people feel that same kind of guilt and, and maybe they do feel the guilt. I don't know what they feel, but all I can... All I can perceive are the actual actions of people, uh, what they decide to do or what they decide to not do, which is kind of the same thing. So that's all I have to go on. But it was always very confusing to me when adults especially would deliberately mislead or like deliberately lie, um, kind of went against everything that I thought when I was, when I was growing up. And sure, I had experienced... Um, racism or like misogyny or like misogynoir which is that combination of racism and, and misogyny against uh black and brown women but I kind of thought that it was like a one-off kind of like when people used to say that or still say that um about cops that you know it's just one bad apple which is by the way the full saying is one bad apple spoils the whole bunch <laughs> But we're not going to get into that in this episode quite yet about how cops are not our friends. But what I will say is that um, it can be really easy to, for me to kind of put adults on a pedestal. Well, not now, because I am an adult now, but, um, and have been for a little bit, but 
it was easy when I was a child to put adults on pedestals. Um, that happened again, that sort of impressionableness happened again when I was in eighth grade um, at that white school that I went to. And my uh, math teacher told us all before we started our exam that if we got a 90 or above, we were automatically going to be placed into the first tier, which was inevitably called the smart people's class. Um, the If we got uh, passing grades to like uh, B plus, then we were gonna be placed in the average kids class or like tier two. It was called tier two, but everyone divided into smart kids average kids and dumb kids, which is so sad. I mean, when you call it tier one, tier two, and tier three, and you, and you make it very obvious that like you're praising tier one for being like the really smart kids, then everyone else is kind of going to feel a certain way, especially if like tier two has the most kids. It kind of is seen as like the average or the mean. It's a really bad system they have in place. And it could be made a lot better by making simple changes to curriculum um, that they do themselves because it is a private school. The state doesn't choose the curriculum for them. They make it for themselves. Anyway, um, I took the test just like everyone else and I got an 89.5. And I was like, okay, well, that means that I... I'm gonna be in tier one. I'm gonna be in the smart people's class because like that was a pretty good grade. I don't know, it's a pretty good grade to get on any test that's over over a hundred points to get over eighty nine of those points is kind of amazing to me. And I wanted to know what that point five was, but we didn't get the tests back. We didn't get to look over them. Anyway, um, my teacher. Uh, told my mom or told me I think yeah she told me that I wasn't going to be in tier one because I didn't get a 90. Now behind the scenes I didn't know this until recently but behind the scenes my mom was conversing with another um, black girl's mom and she was in the grade above me and they were talking and, and that girl's mom told my mother to not let them put me in tier two, to not let them make me believe that I couldn't handle it. But on my end, I had multiple teachers <laughs> telling me that I shouldn't be in tier one. I had one teacher tell me that um, it's better to get an A in a class that I, like to, to be in a class that I know that I can ace than to get a B in a class that's a little harder for me. And then I had another teacher tell me like, I'm gonna, I'm go like, she was like, you're going to struggle. You should be in a class where you can coast. I had other teachers telling me that um, I was gonna have an easier time, that I was gonna be less stressed out, that I couldn't handle being in the tier one class, blah, blah, blah. So my mom talking to me about how I should be in tier one. I was like, what? No, I'm getting all this messaging from teachers who have taught me <laughs> in math specifically, who know me that 
I shouldn't, I could, I can't handle it. Like they have put this limitation on me and I should believe them because they're adults and I feel like they have my best interests at heart because why wouldn't they? And I don't think it's racist. It doesn't make sense that it would be racist. Of course, they like want me to succeed in my life and do well and yeah, all that bullshit <laughs> because it, it wasn't true. You know, this was something that they systematically told people who looked like me. And if I had gotten a 90 or above, I don't know if they would have said that, but um, but they, yeah, they thoroughly convinced me to be in tier two and that's what I did. And I got like A pluses the whole time and yeah, it felt good to do that, but I also was just like never challenged and I would often get like really angry and upset that I wasn't being challenged and that I was so bored. Um, and that sucks. I mean, that probably sucked just as much as maybe working a little hard and being frustrated in math, but also feeling like it was good to be challenged. And so this idea of other people's limitations uh, becoming my problem and becoming my thing to figure out. It's just been something that I've been carrying around with me for a while. And I wanted to kind of talk about how easy it is for kids to be taken advantage of by adults, but also how other people's limitations on us are not our problem. That's fully their issue to figure out why they need to keep me in a box so much. You know, like that's just not something that I need to interrogate within me. Um, when other people's limitations then become my limitations, now that's something to, to, to figure out, to kind of get in there and deconstruct. But it kind of was a novel thought that was like, yeah, I don't have to fucking listen to you. Like you can talk on and on and on and and it might even be like a little bit of an ego bruise for me to listen to you talk about why I don't deserve this thing and why I am not worthy of this thing or whatever. But ultimately, I don't have to come to terms with your limitations of me. I just have to keep living my life and 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 keep deconstructing things that I feel like I can't do. And it's easier, I think, to do that when when we kind of come from a, a family, in, in a perfect world, I'll say this, in a perfect world, n this wouldn't happen at all. But in a slightly less perfect world, we would recognize that it's not our problem. And we would continue to push ourselves to the best of our ability and trying to be the best and the kindest that we can personally be. And we can learn from our mistakes and we can we can move forward and we can just keep doing that over and over again and, and try to create a life for ourselves and for other people that isn't so uh, predatory where we actually foster a sense of trust with each other that like if someone says something to us, we can for the most part trust that they have our best interests at heart. But in this world that we're living in, which is far, far, far from this slightly less than perfect world that I just mentioned, it's hard to say this, but people are just not to be trusted. I mean, that's a very like black and white 
response to everything that I just said, but personally, I've like experienced a lot of pain in my life from going into so many situations and just feeling like I trust that the situation is going to work out well or trusting that that person has my best interest at heart um and trusting that they're going to be the kindest they could possibly be to me and gonna be the most generous and gonna be the most um i don't know the just the best version of themselves that they can be and not even just for themselves but for like the world and the way that they interact with it and that's just so not the case i've lived very much in this like really beautiful idealized world and it's not because I've gone through life and like nothing bad has ever happened to me and I've like been frolicking in, in the grass like snow white and just been such a pure person and like no like that's not been um my life at all. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's the exact opposite. There have been times of frolicking but I, kn I know very well the the horrors of humanity. And yet I can still somehow find it within me to still want to believe that ultimately people want to be the best version of themselves. And I don't think that that's true anymore. I mean, you're hearing it here first. I am becoming less and less disillusioned. <laughs> um, Wait, more and more dissolution? Wait, I'm not going to take the time to figure out what I just said. But I am becoming less and less uh, hopeful, I guess, that people are good. I also don't think, though, that people are, like, bad. I just think that people can't really be trusted. <laughs> and that's actually sort of liberating to say um, in some spaces that can be probably very triggering to hear people say that, um, that people aren't to be trusted and um, it can maybe even be a reason to relapse into ways of behaving that are not beneficial to us or to the people around us. But when I say people aren't to be trusted, I mean that usually when people put limitations on us, they're they're really kind of talking about themselves. They're talking about some kind of racist belief that they've held. They're talking about um, some kind of um, just really like fucked up thing that they haven't interrogated in ourselves, which also then makes me think like, what limitations have I put on other people? You know, there's so many little, little horrors that we commit every single day that people think back on and they're like, that actually really affected me. Like I doubt that my eighth grade math teacher thinks to herself, damn, I should have told Genesis that she could handle that tier one class. That's, that haunts me for the rest of my life. Like she would, I, I highly, highly, highly doubt that she even remembers that moment happening, probably because it happened so many times with other people and maybe still does happen. I hope not, but there are so many reasons why we can't believe the limitations that other people put on us. And I think that's one reason why just as, as a whole, people just shouldn't be taken at 
face value, people just shouldn't be believed. I think that's really what I mean. It's that not that people shouldn't be trusted. It's more that like, um, don't believe everything that you hear. I mean, there's a thing. It's like don't believe everything you see on the internet. That's totally true. But then that doesn't mean that like everything that people say out loud to you or even about you is also true. Um. It has nothing to do with us. I think for the most part, it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with the way they were brought up, the way that they were raised as a child, um, the way that they received information, and also the limitations that were put on them. Like, I think it all informs who we are. You know, I wish that there was, this, that there was a class that, that all parents, adopted parents, parents who were adopting, parents, people who were having children, um, biologically, whatever, I wish that there was some class that they could all go to. That was just like basically a class called deconstructing your childhood and and learning from our mistakes. Um, and I think that learning from our mistakes can be in the form of remembering something that, that we did that wasn't good that we did unto another person but I also think that learning from mistakes can be as simple as like it was a mistake for me to listen to that eighth grade math teacher it was it was a mistake for me to think that she had my best interest at heart it it just was but like you know now I know and now I can do something about it and now I can you know go forth in my life and and try to be the best version of myself now that I have this new information but also, um, not just in an adult to child relationship, from a peer to peer relationship, limitations can be really interesting, especially if we are different than our friends or like trying to be different than our friends. Um, I can only speak for myself. So I remember when I was a teenager that I said something to one of my friends about how I didn't want to have Spotify anymore. Or was it Spotify? Yeah, that I didn't want to have Spotify anymore, that the instant gratification of being able to listen to whatever song I wanted just didn't sit right with me. And not that I wanted to work for <laughs> work for it, but like the way that I love music is, uh, it's so intense. And I really like having physical copies of, of that song of like the album that it's on or the mix that it's on or like whatever live concert it was. Um, I like having the physical media of it, uh, whether it's on CD or vinyl or whatever, um, even in books, like I'd rather read a physical book. I'd rather like physically touch something. There's just something so beautiful about having a tactile relationship with our favorite pieces of, of media. And um I remember she was like, you're so difficult, like just like things like you don't have to be so like blown away by everything that you interact with. Like you can just like things. It's not going to kill you. Like you don't have to be so difficult. And I was like, but <laughs> I don't have to be like everyone else, though. And I think part of what she was saying, which I understand, uh, which is that it makes it really hard to 
be in community with someone to like have talking points on everything when like you have when you don't have a lot in common when like you don't have the same apps I guess when you don't um read the same kinds of media or the same kinds of of books when you don't consume the same kinds of foods or the same kinds of whatever else is nourishing um when you don't live in the same place when when there's just so much different about about the two or three or four or whatever of you it's a lot difficult to maintain a relationship and i understand that part of it but i also think that it's really important that when a friend expresses to us that they want to try something out or that they uh want to act on a on a desire that isn't going to hurt anybody um and that they say is going to help them i feel like why not be really accepting of that and um think less about how are we going to relate to them and more about them feeling like the best version of themselves so that's something that i think a lot about too just like the limitations of friendship maybe and of being called difficult or being called whatever you know whatever names whatever limitations people want to put on us I think that peer-to-peer relationships are super interesting in that conversation too and I'm not going to talk about it enough (laughs) in this episode you know what at some point I feel like I should do a part two of every (laughs) episode that I've made thus far uh, so that I just like go into deeper uh conversation about it deeper philosophy about it but today is not that day i'm gonna stop talking about this but also gonna keep talking about this in regards to a book that i just finished reading called boy snowbird by helen oyemi and this book was i wasn't expecting to like it as much as i did i didn't think i was gonna honestly like it when I first read it, I was like, this is a little, I don't know, it was a little trite. Like, it was just um, kind of banal. I was like, okay, you know, I'm reading about a girl who was, like, deeply abused by her father. And um, you see a white girl deeply abused by her father and moves to a different place. And is like, experiencing trauma and meeting so many people. I was like, okay, you know whatever this is going to be a fast read it's going to be kind of easy and then damn this this book took a turn that I at one point was so nervous about what was going to happen to these characters that I was like okay I have to admit that I feel something for these characters that like they are actually alive to me that they're moving through the world of my mind and I'm nervous about their future. I'm nervous about who they're going to be. I'm nervous about the goodness of their hearts. I'm nervous about how this is going to affect their lives. (laughs) I finished the book really wanting to know more about what was going to happen. The turns also that this book freaking took, I mean, it was so much. But really, essentially, why I felt this book was important to this conversation that I'm having with you all right now is that this book is so much about having to deal with the limitations that other people put on us. Whether that's like physically limitations where people are like assaulting us or like doing things against our consent, literally putting a limitation on how we have to then live our lives because of this thing that affected us so deeply. 
but also like being born into a black family that is light enough to pass as white in the world just the limitations that that puts on us right in the ways that we have to then interact with the world and also the ways that we have to deal with our own identity identity within our bodies and also within the family it is so 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 interesting and i really i i really hope that uh you all check this book out it's called boy snowbird and i'll absolutely link it uh in the description below um the podcast like in the episode notes but uh yeah it's super interesting and it really got me thinking a lot about limitations and it got me thinking a lot about how i have listened or in some cases haven't listened to um, the limitations that other people have put on me. Um, and I feel I feel like this book is really a great avenue to explore that within ourselves, but also to explore the ways that we do that to other people all of the time, uh, the ways that we unconsciously put limitations on other people and I think it is so infused into the way that we communicate as a culture um, that I sometimes don't even realize when I'm doing it and then I have to apologize or I can't apologize because I'm realizing it like hours later. But I think that just in general, being really conscious of what we say, which I think, me- which I think means saying less and... Um, not anything idealistic like trying to be the best that we can possibly be to ourselves and the other people but just like speaking slower and thinking longer and carefully choosing our words so that we say what we mean and in some cases i think limitations can be a life-saving thing like telling someone don't jump out that window you can't fly you are going to seriously hurt yourself and or die uh wow that rhymed um <laughs> uh, but things like that that can be life-saving um but that's not usually the way that we communicate limitations to each other i think that they happen so briefly and so and so quickly and so like matter of factly that it can be hard to um deconstruct it and to to figure out if we even believe it or not but yeah, that's all I have for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope that this inspires at least one of you to maybe journal about ways that you've been limited by other people or ways that you have limited other people or both. Or maybe it inspires you to speak slower, to think longer, um to be silent more often maybe, um, or maybe to apologize more often, or maybe to uh, stick up for ourselves more often and, and to say no more often, you know, no and louder. So yeah, I don't know, whatever this inspires you to do that is safe for you and uh, physically safe for other people, uh, I hope that that works out for you. And um, I hope that you have whatever day you want to have, whether it's good or like, whether you want to wallow in your own self-pity, that's totally up to you. And I hope that you have the time that you want to while you're doing that. Thank you so much for listening. And I'm really grateful that you're here. 
I say that for a reason. Um, it really is such an interesting <laughs> life that we are able to lead. And um, yeah, I hope you're as pain-free as possible. Bye.